Thank you, Griff. Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you are here today. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you felt like you were about to die? Now, I'm not talking about when you were a teenager and your girlfriend broke up with you. That's a, that's a totally different issue. I'm talking about one of those experiences where actually, physically, you thought this could be it. I might die. Back in 1981, I moved down to Florida to accept a pastorate on the east coast of Florida in a congregation. And as I did, I was from the Midwest, never lived in Florida before that time. Um, one of the gentlemen in the church came up to me in the, one of the first Sundays and said, uh, Tom, he said, would you like to go shrimping? I had no idea what shrimping was. Do you, anybody, has any of you ever been shrimping? Oh, we got it, one person. Okay, good. That's one more than we had in the first service. Here, here's what shrimping involves. And I think it's primarily an East Coast thing in the east of Florida. On Florida, there is the ocean, of course, the Atlantic Ocean. There's an intercoastal waterway which runs parallel to it. And in between those, every so often, there's what they call an inlet. And that inlet, then, is where you shrimp. And so you, um, I said, sure, I'll go shrimping with you, not even really knowing what I was doing or what was going to happen to me. And he said, well, we do it at night. No problem. So the night comes. And he, was, uh, an, he had an old wooden 28-foot boat. And it wasn't a modern boat. It wasn't the fiberglass stuff. It was an old wooden boat. And so we went up to the Sebastian Inlet. We anchored in there in the inlet. And what you do is at night, when the tide comes in, it brings the shrimp from the ocean into the intercoastal. And then once the tide goes out, it swiftly moves them back out again. And so you catch them in between. And so there's a big spotlight that you put on the front of the boat. And as the tide goes out and as the water just starts rushing out of the inlet, because it's not very wide, as it rushes out of the inlet, these shrimp are just all over everywhere coming out. And you take these 18-foot-long nets and you just reach down and start dipping them as they come uh, swimming toward that light. And actually, one night, we got over 1,000 shrimp in one night. I had cholesterol problems for about three weeks after that. So we're in, we're in the Sebastian Inlet. It's in the middle of the night, and we are shrimping. And suddenly, I'm standing at the middle of the boat, and an explosion takes place. And the boat just blows up just like that. And uh, I was standing in the middle of the boat. I was thrown all the way from the middle of the boat to the back of the boat. I hit the back of the boat and fell down. And within a matter of a few seconds, it seemed like immediately, but in probably a few seconds... The boat, this wooden boat, caught on fire, and it was just lifting to the air. The life jackets were down below, and we couldn't have time to get them. The flames were too hard. We couldn't get there. There were three other people on the boat with me. They all jumped off into the water and started swimming toward the shore. And I was standing there frozen and looking and seeing what was going to happen. And suddenly, these guys started yelling at me, Tom, jump, jump. What's wrong with you? Jump. Well, we're in the middle of the Sebastian Inlet. The tide is rushing out in a, in a narrow area. I can't swim. You know my predicament, right? And so I remember standing there and calmly thinking, well, nuts, I'm going to die. I'm only 33 years old. I'm going to die. I wonder what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, the Apostle John gives us an understanding. It's a limited understanding 
but it's a snapshot of possibly what heaven is going to be like. As we know, the book of Revelation is a difficult one to understand. And for us to get anything out of the book of Revelation, we have to understand what the symbols are because the symbols are consistent from the very beginning all the way through the book. And if we understand the symbols and their meaning, it helps us to understand what Revelation is all about. Revelation is filled with all kinds of apocalyptic issues, all kinds of tragedies, and all kinds of things. But there is one theme that I want you, don't want you to ever forget when it comes to Revelation, and that is this. The central theme of Revelation is this. Christ will triumph. No matter what happens in Revelation, Christ will triumph. We know the end of the story, and Christ will triumph. Occasionally, if you go to the movies, before the actual movie that you came to see begins, there will be some clips of additional movies that are shown. And sometimes we call these sneak previews uh, of what's to happen. It doesn't tell you the whole story of the movie that is to come. It just gives you a small glimpse of this is what you are in store for. And it's do- it does that so that we can kind of entice us to want to come back and see the movie and hear the rest of the story. Chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation are sneak previews. They're sneak previews of heaven and what it is going to be like. Now, again, John is a man like us. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's using human words to, to try to describe the indescribable. And yet we know that this is his best effort to help us understand and to get a glimpse of a sneak preview of what is to come. We also know that whenever he is writing, he never forgets Christ will triumph. Pastor Kurt has said to me this week, as he knew what I was going to speak on this morning, he said, Tom, I think that chapter 5 of Revelation is the single most important chapter in the entire Bible. So this morning we're going to go verse by verse through that chapter, and we're going to see what it says and what it means for us today. So let's begin, if you have your Bibles or your apps on your phone, or we're also going to have it on the overheads, and take a look at this verse. This is verse 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 5. He says, Then I saw in the right hand who him who sat on the throne. That is God. So this is a scene of heaven. God is sitting on the throne. And it said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So there's our first thing that we've got to figure out what that means. If it is a scroll, we would say today a book. And this scroll was written on both sides. It was a parchment paper, and it would be rolled up and sealed. And because it was written on both sides, it means to us there is no additional word of God that needs to be given to us. This is all we need in order to understand life and what it means and what is to come. It is sealed with seven seals. Seven is the number of perfection. And in Scripture, whenever you see the number seven, and especially in Revelation, it's very common in the book of Revelation, the number seven means perfection. The number of four is completeness, the number of three is the Trinity, and when you put them together, you get the number of God, which is seven. So, seven means... Okay, start again. Seven means... 
You got to. Oh, this is much better than the first group that was here. Don't don't tell them I said that. Now I don't think they were quite awake yet. Seven means perfection. So this was sealed with seven seals. That means it couldn't be sealed any tighter. There was no way that you could make it any more uh, difficult to get into it. It was perfectly sealed. God holds in his hand this book. And John looks up and he knows that this is the book of life. He knows that this is the book that is going to tell him what is to come. This is the book that's going to reveal the secrets of God to him. But he can't get it open. And they're frustrated. Can you imagine yourself... You're an eight-year-old kid. Christmas is coming. And you know that your mom and dad love you, and they're going to give you this very special gift. And they keep saying to you, Tom, we're going to give you this really neat gift. And so Christmas morning comes, and this big package that is elaborately wrapped and has a bow on top of it, and you're so excited to open that and see what is in there, and you can't get it open. you imagine how frustrating that would be for you? Or let's just assume that you're an adult. And somebody has told you, you know, Tom, I've got a great gift for you. You're not going to believe it. This is a gift that is so important. It's going to change your life. This is a gift that you cannot believe how big and important it is. And so you anxiously wait for it. And Amazon Prime presents it to you two days later. (laughs) Amazon runs the world, by the way. Amazon Prime. And so this package comes to your door and it's delivered to you. And you're trying to open it. And for whatever reason, you can't get it opened. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? And so John begins to weep. I want to know what God has for me. I want to know what he wants to say to me. I want to know what his plans are for me. God, if you just tell me, I'll do it. I want to know what to do. You know, sometimes we sing that song. If I'm honest, I don't know what to do. Now, that's the first and last time you'll ever hear me sing on the platform in church. I know there's such a thing as a key, but I don't even know where it is or how it's found, so I don't don't mess with that. But here's the story. John is saying, man, I want to know what's in there. Is there anybody that can open that and show us the truth of God and his book of life? The angels can't open it. The prophets can't open it. No one can open it. Is there anybody who can open it? And obviously, since you're a smart group, you know who's going to be able to open it. But this is who it is. It says the theme of Revelation is Christ will triumph. Excuse me, I went backwards. And then I saw him, and I'm keep going. Jesus is, eventually, Jesus is worthy. (laughs) Jesus is worthy. Here is verse 5. Jesus is worthy. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The name Jesus is not mentioned in Revelation chapter 5, but in all of the descriptions of the individual who is able to open this sealed book of life, they all are characteristics of Jesus. And when we read these characteristics, we know exactly who they are talking about. The first characteristic that he gives us is that he is the Lion of Judah. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us today. What does that mean? But to the people who were first reading this, there are 12 tribes in Israel. And of those 12 tribes, the most important tribe was the tribe of Judah. And the most important in that tribe was called the Lion of Judah. And in the Old Testament, it says that when this Messiah comes, this one who is going to deliver us from our sins, he is going to be called the Lion of Judah. And then it says he comes from the root of David. And once again, what does that mean? 
In Isaiah 11, we find that when the, when the Messiah comes, he will come from the lineage or the heritage, the ancestry of David. We go to the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, and we see that indeed Jesus' lineage, his heritage came down through the root or the, the lineage of David. And then he says to us as well, Jesus has triumphed. He is worthy. He is worthy to open this book. Why is he worthy to open this book? Because he has conquered sin and death. He has conquered the temptations of Satan. He has conquered the the religious establishment of the day who would push him aside. Now in verse 6, we are introduced to Jesus in a different characteristic. And that characteristic is that of a lamb. Behold the lamb. This is another characteristic of Jesus. It is a characteristic of him that is told throughout the New Testament When he was about to be baptized, John the Baptist saw him in a distance, and he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Let's read this verse. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What in the world does that mean? Can you imagine seeing this creature? It's a lamb standing as if it had been slain. Now, if something has been slain and it dies, it doesn't stand. So this lamb has been dead, but yet it's come back to life as if slain. We can see the marks of the crucifixion, but we know that he is alive and is standing as if slain. He's standing at the center of the throne, and he is encircled by these four creatures and by these 24 elders. The four creatures, in order to understand the symbolism of that, Jesus, or excuse me, God created four living things here on this earth. The greatest of his creation was mankind. He also created the animals of the earth. He created the fish of the sea. He created the birds of the air. And so this is a representation of all God's creation that is coming to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world to receive glory, honor, praise, and forever and ever. Amen. This is the 24 elders is representing the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. They are combining together in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, and they are representation of all those things that God has created. Now, the lamb. In Scripture, oftentimes when the lamb is used, there is a word which means one of a group of, of, uh, one of a flock of sheep, and that's appropriate. But in this case... The word is different. It means lamb, but it doesn't mean one of a flock of sheep. It means a pet lamb. It means a lamb that has been cared for, that has been brought up, that has been nurtured, that has been loved, that has been invited into your home, that you have, uh, such as we would have a dog or a cat today. This is an animal that has a relationship with you. This was a personal lamb. And this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, a weird-looking creature. So we have to understand, what does that mean? Seven means perfection. The horns mean power. So this is a lamb who has perfect power. 
Theologically, we would say omnipotent, or this person has total power. It can't get any more power. It's at the zenith of what it can do. It also has seven eyes, and that seven eyes represents the, the knowledge that it has. It sees everything. It knows everything. In theology, we would say omniscient, which means that it knows everything. So this lamb, which is, again, symbol of Jesus, has all power, and it has all knowledge, and then it says he sends these seven spirits out into the world. Pastor Kurt, in addition to be a phenomenal speaker, has the ability to take a complicated issue and break it down into terms where we understand it and it can apply it to our lives. And previously in different sermons, he has shared with us that the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us And his presence is with us wherever we go. That's called omnipresence. So this lamb that was slain, all-powerful, all-knowing, forever, wherever he is, we are there with him. Now, when you think about that for a moment, and you find yourself someplace where maybe you shouldn't be, don't forget, Jesus is with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He carries with you. It also means to us that there is no place that we can go where he won't find us and where he won't help us and he won't assist us and he won't aid us in doing these things. So this lamb has perfect power. It is all-knowing and its presence is all-consuming. Now, verses 7 through 10. Here comes the band. The music of heaven is starting to break forth here. There are no songs in the book of Genesis, none. The first recorded song that is given to us in the Bible comes in Exodus chapter 15. It is called the Song of Moses, sometimes called the Song of Miriam because she was taking a tambourine and you know, doing her thing with it, and they were singing. And the song was representative of the fact that they had been freed from the slavery of Egypt. And so they give this great song of praise to God because they have been physically liberated. They have been physically brought free and given this new life. Now, in the chapter 5 of Revelation, we find a new song. A new song, and the word that is used here means one that has never been sung before. This is not an improved edition. This is a new song that we're going to sing. This song is called the Song of Redemption. This is a song of redemption, not from physical captivity, but from spiritual captivity. And these four creatures and these 24 elders who are representative of all of creation begin to break forth in song. And here's what they do. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Now let's take a look at this. These four and 24 have golden bowls. Those golden bowls represents the preciousness of what is contained within. They are contained, the incense of the prayers of God's people. Your prayers are there. When we pray, there are three elements in prayer. 
First, there is confession. When we deal with confession, it always centers on us. So, Lord, maybe I've done something wrong. I ask you to forgive me of that. He always does. Or, Lord, I need some wisdom here. I'm not exactly sure what to do. He comes to our assistance. Lord, uh, I have an issue here in my life, and I need some help on how to figure this out. All those are, are prayers of confession. Important, we should pray them. The second part of prayer is intercession. In intercession, we pray for someone else, not for ourselves. Could you help my son out? He needs issues. Can you help my daughter out? Can you help John and Mary have an issue with whatever it is, divorce, whatever the case may be? Those are intercessory prayers, an important part. They center on someone else. There's a third part of prayer, and that is the prayer of praise. The prayer of praise centers on God and who he is and what he has done. These golden bowls, and the word actually there is plural, means these sweet-smelling incenses are wafting up to God. Those are the prayers of you and me, the praise prayers that we offer to God. Now, when we do that, when we get to heaven, we won't need prayer one and two, but we will continue to do prayer three. My question to you would be this. Does your prayer life consist only of confession and intercession? Or do you balance that out with God? We adore you. We praise you for who you are, for what you have done in our life. We give you thanks. We honor you. We glorify you in whatever. Now, why is Jesus so unique? What makes him worthy to be praised? And with your blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And so they will reign on the earth. He gives, he gives five reasons here. The first thing is, why is Jesus worthy to be praised? Because he has been slain. This is the sacrificial love of God who has gone to the cross for us. It says he has purchased our salvation. It is a completed act. It does not need to be repeated again. Then he says to us, he has made us into a kingdom. Today we might say he's made us into the family of God. A little bit earlier here today we talked about he has made us sons and daughters. He has brought us into his family. Some of our family lives may not have been that which we really had hoped for. They might have been difficult. Maybe they have been estranged. And God says to you, if you come into my family, I will accept you and love you and make you part of the family. The fourth thing that he says is he has made us priest. A priest is someone who has direct access to God. And therefore, there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. You and I have the ability and the privilege of going directly to God with our confession, with our intercession, and with our praise before him. And he hears us and understands us. And the fifth thing says that he has helped us to reign on earth. He's talking about victorious living. We don't have to live defeated lives. We can be victorious. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We understand that. And so this is the first wave. This is the first wave, which is a representation of all of creation worshiping and praising God. Now, the angels hear it. This is a symbol, symbolism of heaven. The angels hear it. 
And they say, hey, wait a minute. We want to get in on this. Now, they can't sing verses 7 through 10 because they have not been purchased. They don't have a need of that. So what they bring into this great band, this great celebration event that is happening in heaven is the fact of who Jesus is. They start talking about his qualifications. And here they are. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Okay, from what we've known today, how many attributes of God, of Jesus, do you think the angels are going to say? Oh, this is, this is good. You got it. You got it. And so here they are. The seven attributes of Jesus. Remember, they are not honoring and praising and glorifying God for what he has done They are honoring and glorifying him for who he is. And here's who he is and why he is worthy. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, you got the scene. It's a symbolic scene of heaven. The living creations are worshiping him for what he has done. The angels come in. They are worshiping him for who he is. And now it's our turn. And so here's what happens. Verses 13 and 14. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So first we have the representation, then we have the angels, and then we have us coming into this glorious place called heaven. This particular verse is a fulfillment of the prophecy that is found for us in Philippians when it says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't totally understand this. I really don't. But I believe that the Bible is 100% true. And I believe that somehow when we get into this glorious position, into this glorious place called heaven that all creation is going to burst forth and singing a new song that we've never heard before. It's going to be a song that is so glorious, and it will honor Jesus for who he is and for what he has done. And somehow, the birds and the fish and the animals and all of creation and all of nature are going to burst forth in this glorious song of celebration of heaven. That is the sneak preview that John gives us of heaven. So I'm standing there in the boat. You knew I didn't die, right? (laughs) I'm standing there in the boat. The flames are going up. It's getting warmer. I'm looking out at that water that's rushing out to the ocean. 
My buddies by this time have swam over to the edge of the, of the shore, and they're screaming and yelling at me to jump. What should I do? So I finally decided, well, might as well go for it. I jump off the boat, and I'm floundering around in the water like a wounded walrus, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and trying to dog paddle and find something and stay alive. And not more than maybe 30 seconds after I hit the water, I look up and kablooey. Now, kablooey is not really a word, but I just kind of made it up. You kind of got the idea? I mean, this wooden boat just absolutely exploded. And when it exploded, it's a wooden boat. I'm not sure if a fiberglass boat would have done this or not. I don't know. Maybe some of you can tell me. It was a wooden boat. A big uh, piece of wood, probably the size of a door, flew right over there beside me. What luck. What a coincidence. I prefer to say that it was the grace of God. That God somehow had still something for me. That God somehow still wanted me to tell his story. That God somehow wanted on September the 23rd, 2018, to give you a glimpse of heaven. That maybe when you see that glimpse of heaven, you'll say, you know, I want to be there. I want to be in that big celebration event. God doesn't leave us abandoned. He doesn't leave us hopeless. He tells us exactly how we can do that. Because he says, well, I want you there. I want you part of the family. I've purchased your salvation. I've done everything I can do. It's up to you now. But if you're willing to confess that you've sinned against me, I will forgive you. And I'll bring you into the family and make you part of me. Because I love you. And just like that pet sacrificial lamb had to die for your sins, it shows you how much that I love you. And for all of you that call upon my name, for all of you who believe in me, I'll make you sons and daughters. You can be part of the grand celebration in heaven. You know, every Sunday that we come here, every Sunday, we have a mini celebration of what heaven is going to be like. We have a time of singing. We have a time of prayer. We have a time of praise. We have a time of looking at the word. We have a time of doing all of those things because we are preparing ourselves for heaven. And you know what the Bible says? When these seven seals are broken, havoc breaks out throughout the earth. A lot of issues that happen there. It says, Christ says to us, before this even begins, I want you to know, no matter what happens, no matter what the economic situation is, no matter what your personal situation might be, financially, emotionally, whatever, I want you to know, Christ will triumph. One of my friends who has been a friend of mine for a long time is going to come and sing for us. As most of you know, Tom is blind. Tom is going to sing the Revelation song. He is going to put into a song format what I have just shared with you from a physical word format from the book of Revelation 5. 
So let's just celebrate with Tom as we sing together and as this prelude of what it's going to be like when we celebrate together in heaven. Thank you.